everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. My name is Lucas, and with me today is my good friend and yours, Fisherman Don. What's up, Fisherman Don? How you been? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, I heard about a, a fellow Florida man, though, was um, tragically, but I guess interestingly, uh, killed by a cassowary. I think today. Yeah, today. yeah. He. This was a perfectly floridian story to go with but no this man was in a perfectly legal breeding program with these animals nothing shady about it and he still got killed by the cassowary for those of you who don't know a cassowary is like a raptor that chose not to die and just stuck around yeah they think he was trying to um in this scenario um they think he was trying to take a uh, egg from uh, the uh from the bird which they don't like yeah i mean it's part of the stuff oh this is depressing but the cassowary does have something that we are going to be talking about. It's adaptations. So I've wanted to do this episode after we did our move ones a while back. And I'm happy you could join me on this one because we are going to be talking about Pokemon abilities that translate into the real world. And the differences in what people think of as adaptations. Yeah, let's get into it. Cue the music. Lucas, what do you think about that new um, Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolutions trailer? Ooh, I, mm, I, I don't. Uh, hang on, let me get my let me get my note card really quickly. Oh, I have no outstanding opinions for or against. The, I'm sorry, dude. I I have so many mixed <laughs> feelings. It's it. The Pokemon don't look too bad. They don't look horrifying. It's the people. Yeah, the um, there was one scene in the trailer I noticed where you see a few people looking in shock at, I'm assuming, something Mewtwo did that was probably pretty badass. Um, and something with the lighting or just the way they built the people in that scene, they look like a little too shiny. Like it, some scenes, it looks almost more like claymation than CGI, and it's just kind of unnerving. Yeah, it is. It, it's. I don't know. I guess it's the CGI. It's Japan's budget. They never had the biggest budget for their films. I can't hold it entirely against them. But, you know, still weird. So that's our bit of – do you have any other Pokemon news aside from the fact that that was really creepy? Um, I mean the Pokemon part of it does look good. And I kind of like uh, – I loved the first movie. I remember going to, see, to this day in theaters when it came out. I got the Ancient Mew card. No, that was the second movie. But I saw the first movie in theaters too, and it was cool. When I saw it, my mom forced my aunt and uncle to do it. To this day, they still despise my mom for making them watch that, and I feel kind of bad. My oh, dad they... said it was dumb after we watched it. They don't know what they're talking about. They'll be dead soon anyway. Exactly. Speaking of things that could possibly kill us at some point in time, um, the big science news that happened – well, it might be two weeks from when this is getting let out, but it's still huge news, and everyone should be talking about it. We got a photo still of a black hole. It. Still talk about it. We got a black hole – photo we have visual confirmation of what a black hole looks like an entire train team of people worked together tirelessly collecting data for years building programs designed to do this and this is one of the coolest things to me because i mean this is huge we are so small in the universe but we were able to just take a tiny sneak peek at the black hole to see what it looks like to us now Obviously, it's many, many, many times bigger than us. It's bigger than our solar system. It's horribly terrifying, and the memes that have been generated by it are top-notch. As but, they uh, always are. They always are. I think my favorite is the Rolf from Ed and Nettie. Like, life has many doors, and boy, like, climbing out of the black when hole. When are we getting the Ed and Nettie reboot? It's got to happen. We got it's, Samurai Jack. 
season four, whatever that was. It's time for Ed and Nettie's time in the sh- time in the sun. Agreed. I want to see them as adults, like coming back to the cul-de-sac. I just want to see how that all worked out. But I mean, I think that's a really good place to start off with it with the science news it's it's really cool that we got a chance to do this and we got to see it in our lifetime this is not i wouldn't call this moon landing level but i would call it first satellite in space level to me at least like this is it's a it was a group effort and there was a lot of people who put their time and lives into this i can't thank them enough for pulling off this amazing scientific discovery yeah yeah no i agree um it's one of those things where on the service, if you know nothing about like the topic at hand, it doesn't sound as impressive as it is. Um, but like it was after a little bit of research and stuff, you really realize like how just really just cool of an accomplishment it was. Yeah, I I can't wait to see what we can pull up next and what these guys actually come up with because we have the photo. Let's see how much further we can take this. All right, so with all the news and Pokemon stuff wrapped up, let's go ahead and talk about some abilities and how adaptations influenced by them. So let's get started. All right, so before we get to talking about abilities, like I've been saying, we have to talk about one word, adaptation. So have you ever done – you've watched like a bunch of sci-fi movies at your lifetime, right? Yeah. <clears throat> So you've you've heard of like the phrase of like oh my gosh it's adapted to the environment it's adapting too quickly we hear that constantly but it's wrong that's not an that's not what adaptation is an adaptation is a genetic trait that gives an organism an advantage in life the key word is genetic it's a long term response over several generations what you're seeing in movies. And TV shows and stuff is something you call acclimation. It's a short-term response to an environment. So I decided to use Pokemon as a good example. So let's take an Arbox and a Donovan. So Arbox, poison, snake type, probably going to be scared of the elephant ground type that's running all over the place. So how is it going to adapt to survive? How is it going to adapt to survive? I'm glad you asked. First, it's going to have its initial response, which is probably going to be just run. Its behavior is going to change. It's going to run away. The acclimation process will be in this individual's lifespan, it will learn to hide near water. Donovan ground type probably doesn't want to spend too much time near water. It will change its behavior and possibly even get some kind of other small change in order to help. Um, A good example of this in humans is if you're in a very warm place and you get a tan or you start sweating – those are those two steps. It's something that's happening to you currently. Over the generation of Arboxes hiding near water and being around it all the time, the Arbok might learn Aqua Tail. So that would be an adaptation to surviving the environment you're in. The equivalent for humans would be having dark skin. Like if you're from Africa or if you're from India, you just your family line has given you dark skin. That's an adaptation for the environment that you're in. It takes time for these things to happen. Nature is full of adaptations. Like you can name me any animal, and I can name you any animal, Don, and we could come up with a bajillion adaptations. All of them really awesome. Uh, a lot of adaptations, though, are usually going to be uh, split into two forms. So you'll have adaptations that are part of conversion evolution, and you'll have some that are just completely different adaptations for the same problem. So. When it comes to conversion evolution, what that means is it's a similar adaptation that evolves from animals that are not related. So 
the sharks and penguins. Yeah, they have this. Sorry, I was yeah. saying yeah. I was gonna jump in with the. As you said, that my first thought in my head just was uh, counter shading. Yeah, so counter shading is pretty much you'll see it the most. This is all marine animals, and you'll see the lower half of the animal is typically lighter in color, and the top half is darker in color. And this is both sort of an offense and defense camouflage tool where something looking down at you um, sees your dark back and they're looking down into the water. So it's going to be darker. So you kind of blend in and something looking up at you sees your lighter underside, which they're looking towards the sun. That's going to be lighter. So depending on, you know, from if you're a shark or like an orca, this is going to help you find your prey. And if you're, a herring this is going to help you get eaten less. And the best part is, it is a conversion evolution because you've mentioned mammals, birds, fish, and cartilaginous fish, all of which are not exactly directly close to each other, but they all figured it out. They all adapted that similar trait because it's. I'll throw in crocodiles too. Just yeah. Throw another one on there. Yeah, crocodiles. Every like, look up any of your favorite marine animals, and you will notice that they have counter shading. That's not because they got it from the same point. It's just as evolution took its course and natural selection took place, that adaptation turned out to be way better than just about all the other ones. Now, of course, you're going to have some that live the same problem, but come up with wildly different solutions. So uh, my favorite one I thought of while I was do- writing this up, uh, the ones we talked about last week with prairie dogs. Uh, let's say that there is a dog coming after prairie dogs. What are they going to do? Um, well, I think oh, – yeah, so prairie dogs, when there's a dog coming, the one prairie dog will give the, hey, guys, there's a dog bark that they make. And then all the prairie dogs will go wait at the entrance to their burrows to observe what happens as the dog gets closer. Yes, so their adaptation is vocalization, communication, and understanding how to coordinate with each other. Then you have something like the horned lizard. Lives in the exact same environment. And do you know what it does to survive? I do, and it's awesome. And I would like to see Nintendo have the courage to make a Pokemon with this adaptation. Uh, so for those of you who have never heard of the horned lizard, it's sometimes called the horny toad, and it shoots blood out of its eyes. Like it pops a blood vessel in its eye and shoots it at whatever's trying to attack it, and it's foul-tasting and awful, and it just scares away whatever's going around it. So think about that. Same problem, but one, shoot blood out of your eyes, and the other, tell your friends that something bad is coming. I know like which one I want to hang out with. Yeah, I, me too. I, I kind of want to shoot blood out of my – imagine if like someone's just treating you poorly at work and just just shoot blood out of your eyes. That might – I don't think HR would approve that method of conflict resolution. I don't think HR would like blood in the eyes. Just shoot it at them too. You have plenty of blood. It's fine. <laughs> so in Pokemon, um, I think there's another great adaptation example, but it doesn't – I don't. They didn't do this on purpose, but I can do whatever I want. So here we go. Uh, with Gengar, and the thing Gengar Gen One, Gengar used to get bodied by earthquake, just like everything else in those glorious days. But so its acclimation to this was to either not fight ground types or you as the trainer to switch it out of combat. Uh, the adaptation came several generations later. Gengar adapted and now has Levitate, and now it scares ground types away because it can't be hit. And recently, it got tired of being too good, so it adapted to have Cursed Body. Exactly. And died again. 
So you could even think about it as if more ground types were fighting it, it didn't need the adaptation anymore. And thus it lost that ability and now it's going to get bodied some more and then it'll just be an endless cycle. You could even argue that then some Pokemon came about, oh, hang on, I, I'm a ground type that knows Mold Breaker, like Excadrill, okay? I've adapted to fighting this. So obviously they didn't, I don't think Pokemon put that much effort and thought into it, but it's still a really cool idea. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that with adaptations, they a lot of those adaptations from real-world animals were turned into Pokemon abilities. So that's what we're going to talk about. We literally have a whole list of over a dozen Pokemon abilities. So we're definitely going to talk about this again. If you don't hear your favorite ability mentioned, either we couldn't think of an animal that does it, or we haven't gotten to it yet. So by the end of the episode, we'll let you guys know where you can go ahead and suggest that. But for now, let's talk about some abilities. Okie dokie, so let's go ahead and go down the list. So this one actually got some help from a friend named Leanne. I hope you're listening, Leanne, all the way up in uh, one of those weird northern – I think it's Wyoming. Yeah, whatever. It's in Wyoming. She is actually working with Bison, and this is where I got the idea of talking about the ability Rockhead. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the abilities in the game, don't worry. We're going to tell the description of all of them. So this ability takes away any recoil damage from a blow. So if you're using Double Edge or Head Smash, Brave Bird, whatever – you are not going to take any damage. It's just going to be a super powerful move. The idea of Rockhead is just to have such a strong skull, like so solid and rigid and firm, that you can't actually break it. But that's not how ramming animals work. So she was able to explain to me with Bison how theirs work. First off, uh, Bufalant is a buffalo, and he doesn't learn Rockhead. I find that insulting. He does get head smash, but it takes recoil, so it's the opposite. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Like, uh, first off, bison and buffalo are two different animals, but I still think bison need it. Anyway. Hey, hey, hey. What did the buffalo say when his oldest child went off to college? Bye, son. Yep. You disgust me. Anywho. <laughs> oh, God. Um, with bison, it's not just that they have a big, thick skull. They have other parts that help out with that. If you just have a massive skull, it's not going to really help you, but... Bison are equipped with extra long vertebra and have more muscle attachments supporting that massive head. And when they hit a target, it acts like a shock absorber. The skull is thick, but they don't complete – the skull has scaffoldings in it where you can actually see it on things like deer and all kinds of other animals that have their heads in very similar shape. But theirs aren't completely fused. Um, it lets the skull plate shift as they absorb the shock of an impact. So actually having a really sturdy head with no breakage of it would cause you more damage, not less. Remember, it's not the car, the car crashing at high speeds that kills you. It's the sudden stop and all that energy transferring into you. If you don't have a way of dispersing it, that's where the problem comes in. Exactly. I actually saw a video not too long ago of two... Um, two uh, I, try, I don't remember the breed of bull, but they were bulls and they were big and um, they were about to start. They, they started fighting and they had a head on collision and they both hit the dirt immediately after. I think one might have even been paralyzed. So just because you have a you're strong and you have a big head doesn't stop. That's what impact. For these animals, they've been specializing in ramming heads for years. I mean, speak ramming heads. Yeah, the bighorn rams are built for this sort of thing. They have some of the best heads on the planet for taking that impact, not because they just have big horns, but because they can absorb that shock. So 
to me in Pokemon, it would be almost like um, Tyrantrum. It would be really funny just to watch two Tyrantrums run into each other and then knock each other out because it just, you can't absorb the shock. Your head would be fine. Everything else on your body would be shattered into paste. Yeah, on the opposite side, we'd have, uh, if we're going to compare dinosaur Pokemon, one that would make sense would be uh, uh, Rampardos, with its, um, since it's based off the uh, Pachycephalosaur, I think is how you say it. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, so it's based off that one, the dinosaur that we believe was using its head for ramming, although we don't have all the evidence to that. It Some evidence points to that. But yeah, that should be the one. Jurassic Park told me they did. Who told you? Jurassic Park told you? Okay, so... Uh, I've mentioned them before. Go watch the comment. Go listen to the Common Descent podcast. There, where we get literally all our paleontology information on this show. And uh, yeah, their advice is listen to some of Jurassic Park, not all of it. It's probably good advice, especially as it gets later. No, we're not. Jurassic World doesn't count. So the next ability we have on the docket is ooh, dry skin. So I'll take the fun side of this ability. You take the um, the not fun part. Fair enough. The fun part of this ability is where you can absorb water and it turns into HP, which is a really good ability competitively. You can just negate one of the most popular types in the game. Uh, there are lots and lots of animals that utilize dry skin. The best usage of dry skin comes from an animal called the thorny devil. It's from Australia, and it's covered in spikes. So, of course, it, it's from Australia. It's how they've survived in the desert with little to no water is they will collect dew on their skin. Their adaptation for dealing with that is... Their skin has microscopic grooves in it, so you can actually have the water hit the body, and then by flexing their jaw, they will actually move all of that water towards their mouth. So they use special, they use that special skin of theirs. It's not just dry, but it also carries all that water right to their skin. If you ever want to see it, I think Nat Geo or somebody did a little documentary thing of it. It's such a cool, weird little reptile. Now. Again, dry skin doesn't just have fun abilities. There are not so fun parts to it. Yeah, so the other half of dry skin is that you're weaker to sunny weather. You take 12.5% of damage per turn, so the opposite of what you do in rain where you actually heal. And you are you gain an extra weakness to fire. Um, we see something similar to that in real life with um, most amphibians where they really thrive in wet, you know, humid environments. They can grow faster. They can stay out longer. Um, they're just healthier in general, as opposed to, and in really dry environments. Um, many species of frogs will have to burrow into the ground and make a, a mucus cocoon to stay moist or to move to a different area. If not, they can they can die pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if in real life frogs are any more weak to fire, and I really hope no one ever decides to test. I feel that. everything is weak to fire in real life. Like yeah. literally everything. I can't think. Of, I'm literally flipping through all of the zoology courses I know. No, I think everything just hates fire. Everything. Well, there's those um, there's those pine trees that only release their seeds in fire. Fair. I'm thinking more of the animal kingdom. I think tardigrades don't care. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if they get hot enough, they'll die. And there's um, there is a really actually, I just thought this. This is more a thing that likes fire and is totally unrelated, but I think it's cool. There's a species of beetle that I believe lays their eggs. Um in trees right after they've been burned and they have a heat sensitive patch on their chest that's super sensitive and they can detect wildfires from like miles away okay that's kind of cool that's awesome i love i love when bugs do weird stuff like that so yeah dry skin is actually a pretty common ability you see in the animal kingdom and it's something you find a lot of the times with 
animals that either really, really, really need water or really, 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 really need to stay moist. Yeah. Do you think we lost any viewers by saying moist? I think we're fine. All right, guys. So the next ability up is uh, Rough Skin. And Rough Skin in the Pokemon universe is the ability that certain Pokemon have, where uh, such as Sharpedo or Garchomp, where if they're hit by a physical move, you take... Um, I think it's 12% damage. I'm not 100%. I have to double check. Uh, it's something around that. And um, what do, of Charpedo and Garchomp, Lucas, what do those two Pokemon have in common? Ooh, ooh, Elasmo Bronchii. Elasmo Bronchii. Yes, for our less scientifically named knowledge viewers listening, <laughs> I guess. Hopefully, we have, I mean, if we have viewers, it's weird, but you know, you do you. Um, <laughs> they are sharks. Elasmo Bronchii contain sharks rays and sharks are famous for having a skin that if pet in one direction is nice and smooth but if pet in reverse it's extremely rough that's because shark skin it's the point where if you were to hit a shark backwards at a decent speed you would it would easily like uh scrape you up there is actually a legitimate thing amongst marine biologists called shark burn where when you're trying to tag a shark and it swipes against you you'll see like a cut rash like thing on their skin it's 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 a badge of pride for some of them. Oh, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, so patches on the shark skin are called denticles, which and they're actually they're basically tiny little teeth that are sort of like scales. They serve as scales for the sharks, and they're they have a very unique design. This design lets sharks just just almost just drastically drastically reduce the drag they're going through when they swim in the water so with yeah with sharks i'm, I'm sure i'm glad that only their skin is the only thing anybody knows about sharks that's the that's the best part about them there's nothing dramatically unnecessarily scary about them not at all no they are cool. very smooth half the time and now we can go over the list of things that humans have done with shark skin and the technologies from it. So I think, let's see, I know swimsuit. Um, yeah, so like I said, they're extreme resistance to, or extreme ignoring of resistance, I guess is what I want to say, because resistance of resistance is what you're going to say something. Um, that on the, the, sh the wetsuits or the bathing suits that minimizes drag, um, there was certain ho uh, hospitals have coated their doorknobs or remade their doorknobs with a, like on a microscopic level, a pattern that mimics shark skin so that bacteria, which kind of bacteria you get in the hospitals are normally pretty bad ones, um, won't adhere to the doorknobs nearly as well. Yeah, not to mention there was one other one my friend Nirav was telling me about where they've actually taken shark skin and run it on the inside of water pipes because it reduced the drag of the water itself. It was allowing it to go much, much faster, which I think is a really, really cool one. Um, talk, that is really cool. Yeah, so on talk of sharks, I mean, the other one that um, Sharpedo has, and I think Garchomp should get it too, is Strong Jaw. Like strong draw. Okay, I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say speed boost, and I was like, do not. No, Garchomp does not need a speed. Garchomp doesn't even need Dragon Dance. Okay, like no, it's fast. It get it. It's fast enough. That's that. Stop it. Stop that. No, I strong jaw is one of the abilities that sharks get as well. But their bite force isn't as strong as people think. The force comes from the fact that their teeth are serrated and specifically designed for when they bite to allow for cutting. And that's things like great white sharks, which is what Sharpedo takes its a lot of its inspiration from. So many other different sharks will use their teeth for hunting crabs, clams, worms whales you name it they all have some kind of weird different strong type of jaw but really all the power comes from their teeth all right yeah so if sharks if so if garchomp and uh, sharpedo both get strong jaw 
and we've established that sharks have strong jaws, but not very strong jaws. Why doesn't Miami get strong jaw? You know, that's actually a pretty good point. Like, it is a hyena, and they have one of the strongest bite forces on the planet. What do they get? Yeah, it's like 1,100 pounds, I think. And, like, I mean, a lion is like 600. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. I know they can chew through glass, too. Like, no, listen, Pokemon, we're petitioning Mighty N to get Strongjaw. Will it make it competitively viable? Probably not, but it still deserves it anyway. Yes, he's a good boy. He is a very good boy. All right, so next up is an ability we talked about way back in the bug episode. Uh, this one is for Trap Inch, and this is Arena Trap, as well as Dugtrio, for, to a lesser extent. So... With Arena Trap, what it does, for those who don't know, it actually will trap anything that's not a flying type, so it cannot escape. It cannot run, there is no escape, everything everything dies. So there are two bugs specifically that use this, and one of them has that ability in-game as well as in the real world, and that is Trap Inch, the antlion Pokemon, where the larval stage of the Lacewing called an antlion will dig a pit and any ant that falls into it is going to get turned into food. They even line the outside of their, their hold with really loose sand in order. So any ant that falls in can't actually climb out. And if anything tries, they'll just kick sand at it. And that'll be that. <laughs> yeah. There's um, it's a bad place to be. I think the other one is, and the other is the trapdoor spider, which I feel most people know about at this point. They literally just use their webs to create like a cover over their hole. There are actually a few new species of trapdoor spider that were found like fairly recently, and they will just have that hole ready to go. So if anything comes up, they pop out of the hole, grab what's coming near them, and just pull it right inside that hole. They're able to sense and feel what's coming through the hairs along their body. So they are very effective hunters. Yeah, um, another reason to be thankful. We're as big as we are, and they're as small as they are. Yes, indeed. All right, so with those um, smaller ones out of the way, it's time to get to the ones that I really, really wanted to talk about. I love, love, love what Pokemon did with these two. So we're actually going to be talking about two Pokemon and how their abilities work together. Uh, Zongoose and Seviper. So when they were first released back in Gen 3, they were released together as like, oh, hey, these two Pokemon hate each other, just like real mongooses and real snakes. So I'm going to give you the abilities that Surviper and Zangoose get. So Surviper gets Shed Skin and Infiltrator, which is pretty good. These are really nice abilities, and I, I enjoy them. But then you have Zangoose, who gets Immunity and Toxic Boost. In nature... What ends up happening with two animals who are usually in competition with each other, either as food or for a resource, they will adapt and change to fight an adaptation or change from something else. So we call this, and it's one of my favorite terms in biology, an evolutionary arms race. It's literally a war against the other animal or organism for generations to see who can best the other animal. And judging by the stats, I think Zangoose is winning. What do you think? I think so. Um... I remember though, I when I was a little kid, I thought Survivor was cooler, and was really mm -hmm. sad because I think I had Ruby and Survivor was only in Sapphire, or vice versa. But um, I like them both, yeah. and they, they, Zangoose, they Toxic Boost is a sweet ability. Um, I should use Zangoose more. Yeah, it's fast, and it goes in ties with mongooses, who are one of the four mammals on the planet that cannot really be affected by snake venom. They're, they have a special adaptation in their cells that block the snake venom from bonding to receptors, so it makes it pretty much null and void. Uh, the other three are pigs, honey badgers, and hedgehogs. Those are the other four mammals that cannot really be affected by uh, snake's bite. Uh, I will say that 
my absolute favorite evolutionary arms race comes to my old days working near safari parks, and that is between giraffes and a tree. So giraffes have been in generational war against a very specific tree. Was it? It's like an. It's like an acacia, right? Yeah, the acacia tree. So, for those who don't know what an acacia tree is, it's a tree that's found in Africa and other parts of the world. And the ones specifically around where giraffes are have a really interesting design. So their leaves are super ridiculously tiny, but then surrounding the leaves are these giant, massive spikes of pain and fear. The spikes are designed so that way any animal trying to go after those leaves is going to get stabbed in the feet, stabbed in the face. There's really no way around it until you get to the giraffe. The giraffe loves acacia leaves. They love, love, love them. They're their favorite food source in their natural habitat. But with all those spikes, it's probably going to hurt. So they have several adaptations. Uh, One is their tongue, which can reach well over a foot long. It is a completely prehensile tongue, so it's just like a finger. It can wrap around an entire branch and pull all the leaves off of it without really being bothered too much by the thorns. If it gets to eat the thorns, doesn't really matter because they have a digestive system that, while it cannot digest it, is tough enough to not get punctured by it. There's a thing in Africa where you should not drive over giraffe poop. Because it will pop your tires due to all the spikes in the poop. Wow, that I did not know. And that is a good lesson to know, I guess, if you're going to go to Africa. Yeah, just don't drive over any kind of poop you find. Because with giraffe poop, that's definitely one of the big ones. There was another evolutionary arms race that people were pointing out between there was a toad and a snake. Where a toad was poisonous to the snake, but the snake decided it built up a tolerance to it, so the toad has a stronger poison, the snake has a stronger tolerance. It's back and forth and back and forth. Um, another really fun example from uh, pop culture of an evolutionary arms race. Did you ever watch um, the Futurama, Futurama movie, Into the Wild Green Yonder? Yes, I did. Yeah, they do an entire segment of a snake and a frog like attacking each other in different ways of surviving and defending itself. That's what an evolutionary arms race is. You can probably find it in a lot of your the animals in your own backyard with how they interact with each other. Uh, for squirrels, I believe with one thing they could have, you could consider it an arms race, is between that and predatory birds where they've had to adapt holding still and being patient. So that's more of a behavioral adaptation. And the hawks and other birds of prey have had to adapt ways of watching or either trying to trick them to move or any number of different ways. So adaptations are a constantly evolving part. So whenever anyone says like, oh man, this thing's got a new ability that seems to random, well, animals get new abilities all the time. It's just something that takes place over such a long period, you don't really get a chance to notice. Exactly. And I mean, to be fair, um, each Pokemon game is called a generation. So Yeah, every generation has its adaptations added. Everything evolves in different ways. So you could see Gengar's change from Levitation to Cursed Body as an adaptation. You could also see it as a nerf. Uh, I, I don't care how you see it. It's still there and you can't change it back. But it is important that you recognize that an adaptation takes a very, very long time. So no, you did not adapt to the Florida sun when you came here. You got a tan. It's an acclimation. The tan looks stunning on you. Well done. But it's still not an adaptation. You did not adapt to Florida. Uh, you you just survived. Yes. And on that note, I think it's, I think we got all the abilities we wanted to out of the way. I don't think we have time for any more, which means we'll have to do a second episode on this soon. But for now, let's go ahead and wrap this up.
All right. I've wanted to do that episode for a while. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love having you come back every single time. If you're new, thanks for listening to us. We hope to hear from you again for the next time. Yeah. Thanks again, guys. And uh, we do have a Patreon. We have um, we've got cool shirts now. We have a uh, the Science Pokemon shirt or Poke Science shirt. And we have uh, the Science Villain Cinderor shirt if you like Incineroars wearing lab coats. Yeah, we kid you not. It, if you look on our Twitter, that's what the Twitter picture is, is, a science, is our Science Villain Cinderor logo wearing a lab coat. Fun fact, when we submitted that team, when we edited our audio, I put a tiger roar at the end because I could. And it was uh, a good idea. Yeah, on the note of Patreon, uh, we actually have our first patron, and we want to give her a shout-out because she will be memorialized throughout history as the first. Uh, Angela Holiday, thank you so much for your contribution. Uh, it means the world to us. Now, Angela, you not only get your shout-out, but at the moment, since you are the only Patreon as of the recording of it, that means that anytime we put a scale up to vote, you will be picking what episodes we do next. So if anybody would like to see what Angela's opinion is, don't be a patron, and we'll just see what she's got. But I think I want to hear all your opinions, not just Miss Holidays. I want you guys to join up with us. If you can give just a buck, that's enough. We just want a little bit to make sure we don't have to take from our own pockets for doing this. But the fact that you guys are still listening makes makes this worth all the while. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, and Angela, you are the official hero of the podcast. Today. Hero of the podcast. Get the confetti cannon. Don, get the don't, confetti cannon. Don't, no, confetti is bad for the ocean. This one's biodegradable. I made it out of algae. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll get one of those. Yeah, I, I use the good kind. So – Anyway, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook if you want to learn more about us. Uh, email us at pokescience at yahoo.com. Keep in touch with us any way you can. We love hearing from you. If you want to give us a five-star review, that's awesome. If you want to give a one-star review, that's not awesome, but it's still your choice as a insert denomination here. And you deserve to have that voice. So yep. thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.